0: Welcome to The Winsome Creationist, where we explore God's world using a model-building approach, interact with a gracious tone, and take a firm stand on the literal truth of creation found in God's Word. Join host Steve Schram and occasional guest as they explore the mysteries and majesties from creation to the flood, Babel to the cross, and everywhere in between. And now, here's your host,
1: Hey there friends, welcome into another episode of the Winsome Creationist. In this one, we're gonna go through part two of my conversation with Mark on the top 10 objections from the Bible to young age creationism. So I hope you enjoyed last week's episode and I think you're gonna enjoy this week's episode as well. Enjoy it, take care, and we'll see you next time. Okay,
0: well let's get on to the next one. Number four, Genesis 1, 14 to 19. The most popular objection used against young earth creationism is the fact that nights and days exist before the sun which is created on day 4. Days and nights cannot exist without the earth rotating and moving around the sun. Young earth believers often reply by suggesting maybe there was another light source or they will argue that God made the light on day 1 and then gathered it together into the sun on day 4. But this seems unlikely since Genesis 1 talks about the sun and the moon being created together as lights and the composition of the moon is not the same as the sun. You cannot gather light together to make the moon, it only reflects light from the sun. Also, you just cannot separate the sun into pieces and have the same resulting chemistry necessary to provide sunlight for plants, supposedly created on day 3. This whole response from young earth creationists is simply contrived and ad hoc. A more likely explanation is the sun and moon are just elected to serve as signs for seasons and for days and years, instead of being materially created. And this is what Genesis one is actually saying. Okay, so how on earth do we get this whole
2: thing with light before there being the source of the light? <laughs> that, you know, And, um. Let me just out of the gate. I don't know. Maybe I'll start a fight. Maybe maybe this can get interesting. Um, I'm not a concordist, so I don't care. I'm, can you define that for the audience? <laughs> um, so concordism is basically the view that what you read in Scripture, as it's describing, um, has to have uh, like it, it, it matching with – the the world, have a scientific explanation that it's showing something um, uh, specific, you know, like, so where it's saying, you know, um, God said, let there be light over here. He's creating light. But then over here, he's making the sun and moon. And hey, that's, you know, the the sun is the literal source of the light. And so I'm an accommodationist. I think that God, whenever he was talking, he was using the language and the descriptors of the times that the people would understand the point he was trying to get across. Um, the, the example I always use is the um, Isaiah, oh goodness, it, it, it's either 2244 or 4422, where, where God sits above the circle of the earth. And I have people, I've heard people say, oh, well, that circle, see right there, it's saying that the earth is round. And I'm like, no, or, or, or I've either heard people say that that word for circle actually means like a ball. So it's like a sphere, it's like a globe. And I've heard people say, oh, well, it's a circle like a disc. So Isaiah believed the earth was flat. I'm like, I don't think it's either one. I think Isaiah was just saying that God is sovereign over the earth. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm good with that. I, I don't need to have a specific explanation of the word circle describing the literal shape of the earth. Um, I'm right. good with whatever. Maybe, may, maybe Isaiah believed that the earth was a flat disk. I don't care what Isaiah believed because the point he's making is not about the shape of the earth. It's about God being sovereign over it. Um, so that's, and, 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 and so, you know, so in Genesis one, you know, if you're going to nitpick about, you know, the scientific issues, which is really funny that he's bringing up, you know, the science, well, this can't be because the science is like, well, wait a minute. You don't even believe that Genesis is teaching scientific stuff. So why is he bringing that up? Um, except he thinks that we do. So,
1: yes, Um, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll let you approach it because I'm not sure where you land on that. So uh,
1: it depends on what day of the week it is and whether or not I've had my coffee yet. Um, honestly, uh, I do. I, I, you know, I, um, I go back and forth almost on, <laughs> uh, on some of these issues, especially concordism versus non-concordism, and, and where I mean, I don't, I don't think. I, I think I'm comfortable going on record to say that I am a non-concordist, because I think concordism almost has to assume that 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 you have people, uh, that the whole scientific foreknowledge thing that was common in the creationist movement of, of decades gone by, um, I, I think you almost have to assume some of that, and I'm not comfortable given what I have learned about the Bible um affirming that. In fact, let me go a little bit further. I almost think that the natural outworking of a concordist interpretation of scripture is the old earth view. Um I might want to qualify that a little bit if I was in a more you know deep discussion with people, but I when I hear Hugh Ross talk about his concordism, I'm like, you know, he's he's right. You know, I, I can know if you're a concordist i kind of can see how you get that view from it and and i'm like that's i don't think that's the correct uh that's the correct view so we want to um we want to make sure that we're not confusing science and scripture and that we are letting them inform each other but we have to be clear about which one wins (laughs) uh when there is a when there is a conflict so in in general that is where i stand on that now with respect to the text that um that he brought up yeah tyler and i have gone back and forth on on this one as well i still don't see how it affects i i mean i know young earth creationists, old earth creationists, and don't care creationists who all affirm some version of 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 the light being created um uh, of even the sun be, having been created on day one, um, or at the beginning, absolute beginning of creation. So I don't, I don't even necessarily think that there's a hard contradiction in the young earth view. Um, if you take, if you take that approach, um, I do take the approach that the sun was created on day four. I think that those who want to make the point about the Bible teaching a polemic point um, on that, and that the sun is not named and that it is. Created, um, after the creation of some of the other elements, and by God, I think that it, it makes more sense from a polemic view. Um, and polemic just basically means that it takes sh- shots at the uh, gods of other um, nations and the the worldview beliefs of other of other nations. Um, I actually believe that that point is made stronger if the sun was literally not created until day four. Um, there's a book by a Hebrew scholar a well respected Hebrew scholar um David M Fouts and um I mean again this guy is friends with you know you pick your you pick your favorite Hebrew scholar he's friends with him I promise um and he uh he wrote a book in 2007 I think called Right from the Start and um it's Calling evangelical leaders back to the truth of God's word in Genesis one and two, I think, is something like that. And he gives a scholarly approach um, in a in a in the popular. It's it's a popular format, but he delves deep into the to Hebrew language um, and actually deals with these texts and exegetes them um, and argues for their being, you know, a literal. Uh, account of creation, and and this is a guy who's well up on ancient Near Eastern studies, Semitic studies. I mean, he knows all of this stuff, and yet he still comes down on this view. And there's a uh, there's a passage here. I've got the book pulled up, um, where he argues. Uh, and I'm 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 kind of going back and forth on whether or not I should I should actually I should actually read read this little excerpt or not. Um, I, I think I'm going to not read it, but I will tell you the the book is worth a uh, is worth picking up. Again, it's right from the start by David M. Fouts, and you can get it. I've got it in Lagos and on Kindle, I believe. Um, so you can definitely get it in both places. Um, and he goes into great detail, um, well, I mean, in, in detail, as much detail as you can in a power paragraph or two, um, about how that the Hebrew verbiage, the actual way the text is structured, very strongly argues that the point of the that the text is making is that the sun and the moon were created as a direct response to the command that God was making. It's, it's not as though they were just made to appear or something like that. There's other language that, that could have been used if that was the intent. Um, the idea is that each of these, um, and this is a direct quote, each of these, so the two great lights, the, the greater light, the lesser light, and the stars, each of these direct objects has its own separate direct object marker, et. It's in the Hebrew language, et. This indicates that they were all created in response to God's command, and most likely at the same time as they are followed in verse 19 with the temporal summary, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day, uh, end quote. So, um, any, anyway, point there is that um, There are Hebrew scholars who think that the point that Michael is making is not right, and they'll argue this based on the Hebrew language. So again, whether or not it's a material kind of creation really isn't even pertinent to the issue of whether age is in view. But even if you think it is for some reason, uh, there is evidence in the text itself to suggest that – very strongly, actually – that material creation of these things was in view, and it was their direct – you know, a direct response to God's command. So, um, to, just to kind of think about our
2: options, and, and that was that was really good. I, I like that. Uh, just think about our options. Okay, so um, it, it's literally that on that day. Those verses are literally meaning that the sun and the moon were created. Mm-hmm. And people say, "Well, what was the light he created before?" I'm 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 perfectly comfortable with. I, I don't know
1: yeah for sure. i'm fine
2: with that answer it's one of those things where it's like i have no idea for and i sure. don't need to like I, like i don't need to actually have the scientific explanation of like you know he in the video he goes into about you know the the science the, 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 like i don't need all that i don't know what it was god knows what it was um try it but okay so on that view okay young earth creation viable option um you got the what what jones presented about you know Light was created before, and then uh, verse 14 is uh, functionality. Okay. Cool. How does that do anything at all to undermine the age question? Mazel tov, man. Cool. <laughs> it doesn't affect <laughs> whatsoever. Or you can go to where I've heard people argue that this contradiction, this kind of thing, you know, it's talking all figurative, just shows that Genesis 1 isn't to be taken literal, which, okay, now we're back to Genesis 2 being the beginning sure. of the timeline. Young sure. earth creation still on the table. We've done nothing to undermine it or disprove the Bible teaching it.
0: Okay. Mike John. Next. Number three, Genesis 128. As noted before, young earth believers say before the fall, the earth was blissful and perfect, with no death or suffering. But Genesis 128 suggests the opposite was true. Humanity is told to subdue the earth and have dominion over all animals. In Hebrew, these words are extremely harsh. The first word is used of war conquest and enslavement. The second word refers to ruling harshly over someone or oppression. So God is telling humans to make a warlike conquest on the earth because it needs subdued. Implying the earth wasn't perfect and humanity was elected to transform the earth into a better place but to do that meant tackling the harsh environments forcefully. The scholar Joshua John Van E notes the use of this second word for ruling over the animals seems to suggest humans had the right to use animals for any purpose, like food and clothing, implying they already had the right to kill and eat animals. But this means the command from God implies the earth was not a perfect, blissful creation. Instead, this verse implies the earth was chaotic and needed order brought to it. Also, humans seem to be given the right to kill animals, implying death was already in existence. Okay,
2: so apparently the Earth wasn't all paradise. Eden was all cool and stuff, but outside of Eden was all wilderness and chaos.
1: I mean, th- so that therefore, little... young Earth creation is done. <laughs> I mean,. I mean, that little verse right there, if you, if you caught Michael's drift, implied an awful lot of things. I mean, I, there—I I almost don't know where to start. Um, okay, so I—you know, to your first point there, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what to do with guys like Heiser who say, you know, it could be that all—that, that, you know, the entire Earth wasn't Eden. Um. Okay, so let's say I grant that point. It doesn't necessarily mean that the entire Earth was full of evolutionarily evolving humans either. Okay, I think I would be willing to grant that the entire Earth could have been filled and probably was filled. Yeah, probably was filled uh, during creation with uh, certainly animals, but I don't think we can say especially from the text that they were harsh or or that they were you know that they were playing by different rules Th- this is where again we're getting into the weeds a little bit here but you know this is where i'm a little undecided on the um on the animal death thing now if someone were to press me i would say that i hold the view i that that there was no animal death before the fall either but I'm comfortable admitting that that there's a little bit of argument of from silence going on there on my part from Genesis um, I, I mean Genesis 128 seems to suggest that the animals that were created were vegetarians so I, I think you know that probably lends itself to um, to the view that there was no animal death before the fall um, but I, I have there are good young earth creationist brothers that I have who do affirm animal death before the fall just not human death. So I, I don't have all of that worked out in my mind. Are you yeah, would you be one of those? I, yeah. I definitely sure. lean
2: that way. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure. definitely it's
1: um the sure. arguments that there were no
2: animal death just seem weak to me. I'm unconvinced. Yeah. And and yeah. I don't think it's not, like, like I don't think it impugns God's character at all that animals were that would die. Would die. Because yeah. the, mm. I'm I'm sorry, they're animals. Um human death I could see yeah. would imp, could impugn his character, but not the sure. animal death. And so I'm I'm okay. I actually um I, I agree with everything I, uh, I agree with what he said. That um I, I kind of view it like um uh you not not that the earth was just some, you know, just massive, chaotic, crazy. It was untamed wilderness. <laughs> it was uncultivated sure. untamed wilderness sure eden you had in eden you had the garden where everything was in perfect order the of paradise yeah. you know um and then god said hey go make the rest of the world look like this go cultivate it go, go tame that wilderness sure sure and, and I, I believe that that that's the view i hold no and it doesn't do anything to change <laughs> the age of the earth
1: no no that's true now um, I obviously, I think at this point, it's almost it, it almost has to be a given that with respect to the point of the video, that somehow this has something to do with the age of the Earth. I think we left that a long time ago. It it just we're we're almost beyond that now. We're talking about something different at this point, um, because it obviously doesn't prove anything about the age for the Earth. You know, I do think you know I do call I I get i am troubled in my mind by things like well what do you do with the fossil record what do you do with thorns and thistles you know what do you do with the introduction of cancer and harmful diseases and things like that these are things that seem to it, it seems to suggest the bible seems to suggest that these things resulted from the curse on the on the ground it, it, it doesn't seem to me that the, the ground yeah, was I mean, only cursed in eden because adam had to toil and do the hard work outside of eden so obviously it was the right. ground outside of eden that well, was cursed
2: well well and and, and it was um in, in eden like you know if if eden was home base um food was plentiful he wasn't gonna have to toil to survive right the work and the toil would be taming the wilderness yeah. Which you know would have been a fun, you know, glory. and 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 I don't think that you know, like whenever I say you know, outside of Eden it was you know untamed wilderness. Um, maybe there weren't weren't thorns and thistles.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. You
2: know, and and that came later. Um, maybe sure. you know
1: maybe, or, or, maybe or it's maybe, not a or C, maybe it's b right? Maybe maybe it's yeah, you, yeah it could it could right. and we just were that's more so just speculation. Um, yeah, I mean I, yeah, I, I absolutely
2: do believe that there were very real physical effects of the fall, um you know, with like diseases and cancer. and there were real things that happened sure. with uh, to to the earth and the functionality of the earth, um uh, the curse upon it. and and then, of course, you know, a global flood then, you know, completely right. just messes up everything. Um yeah. If if that well, really and of happened, course
1: so but, much of that so much of that is actually dependent upon see the the curse itself um it, yeah the ground was cursed and things like that but with 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 cancer and different things like that coming into the picture you can really only have that stuff if you get degradation genetically. Now we're getting into science, but if you get if you get genetic degradation and that stuff is going to happen almost naturally as a result of the immortality of, of the source of life being cut off the tree of life right um so so yeah i mean i think there's definitely a you know part of the curse is, is leaving eden but i think the actual ground was was probably cursed too if you think at the uh well i mean that's just what the text says <laughs> so well, i and, would and, i would think that
2: and and one of the things in, in these kind of I find that a lot of times, and I'm just as guilty as anyone, that there's all kinds of extra things that we add into imp- being implied that the text doesn't actually say. Yeah. So you're right. You know, it, right. It, so like, like you know, like about the thorns and thistles. Oh, so it was wild outside Eden. So there were thorns and thistles. I don't know. Maybe there were. Maybe there weren't. It doesn't actually tell us. It just says that now, as he tries to produce food, he's yeah. going to have to contend with thorns and thistles. Whereas yeah. in Eden, he wouldn't have to. Hmm. So yeah. you know good point. But again, you come around um top ten ways the Bible doesn't teach young earth. How? Yeah. How? What what is yeah. this? That this doesn't have anything to do with yeah. the dating.
1: Well, and I'll I'll make a more I guess a more direct point here. So he's he's pointing out two um two Hebrew words that he says specifically you know that they both had to do with uh essentially a harsh you know sort of subduing a, a you know it's like a forceful type thing he actually says that the what god's doing is telling humans to to mount i wrote this down to mount a warlike conquest on the earth um to me it, go ahead I was gonna say, um,
2: have you read any accounts, historical accounts of the settlers in North America, um, <laughs> carving out civilization in the colonies? Uh, yeah. yeah, that was waging a war on the, <laughs> the the wilderness environment in order to carve out a place for civilization.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, actually, yeah. that
2: language doesn't. Yeah, uh, you know. Um, I, okay, small church. You know, a little country preacher here. Okay. Um, you got to wage war on the land. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if if you want uncultivated land to grow something, <laughs> hey, waging war is a very good descriptor of sure what you're having to do to it.
1: Sure, I, I yeah, I think that's I think that's fair, um, but I don't think it implies that that means that like like I, I'm not sure entirely. Well, I think I know what his point is. I mean, I think his point is that animals and other non you know, and, and other humans that were not, you know, Adam and Eve, essentially, were going to have to be, you know, brought under subjection, and, I mean, the point is this, like, these, these, context determines meaning of a word, that's just how it works, context determines meaning, both of these words are used in contexts in the Bible, where they do not imply a sort of harsh rule, as a matter of fact, the, the, in 1 Kings 4, 24, and 25, um, it specifically points to Solomon's rule, his rada, as being a peaceful rule. So it, it doesn't necessarily imply that. And, and again, David Fouts made the point in his book that actually, what you see, if you, especially if you take it, uh, you know, with the language of uh, Adam and Eve being made in the image of God and as God's essentially vice regents, you know, to to rule as God's image on the earth. That really, what you see here, is a um, um it, it, it suggests that that Adam and Eve had the kind of rulership that kings had. And kings sure at times ruled with force, but they could also rule peacefully. The point is that they brought the land into subjection, that they um you know, that they began to care for the land, that they began to take responsibility for the land to make it. To demand that these words teach that they were going to have to, um, you know, fight predatory animals before the fall, I think is too much of a stretch. I think it could mean that, but it certainly doesn't necessarily um, mean that. These words could be very um, comfortably used in a more peaceful context. Um, you know, I mean, did that? Did the author? I, I am. I would. I'm more likely to think. I mean, good. Good heavens! I mean, it talks about, you know, having this kind of rule over the fish of the sea or whatever. I mean, you know, I just. I. I don't think what we're talking about is like getting in these wrestling matches with with bears and and whales. That's almost what I see in my mind when I see this point being being made i think what you're saying is a lot more like i'm i'm happy with the warlike language if what's being applied here is something like you know like actually having to to war with the land to to take the land into subjection and to subdue it but but think about it like is that really all it means like like so i uh one of my favorite books is faith form and time by dr kurt wise it's an old book but it's still very pertinent today it was written in 2001 and Dr. Wise is a, a scientist, a creationist. And did, did you um, just refer to a book written in two thousand one as old? Um. Well, in scientific terms, yes. Yeah, I I see, I see your point, but it, but in scientific terms, two thousand one is basically ancient. Um. So uh. So yeah, that's why I did that. But but yes. Um. Yeah. So the point is though, like these. He uses these, this passage as a justification for doing science, for caring for the land, for learning more about the land, for studying about the land. And I see no reason to think that that's not implied just as much as anything else. Um, You know, I mean, the only consistent environmentalism is Christian environmentalism. And where do we get that from? But something like the Dominion mandate. So um, I, I just, I, I mean, I guess if you want to use that warlike language, fine, but it, Let's let's define what we what we mean by that. And uh, before we move on, even if it does mean that he had to fight predatory bears, even if it does mean that lions and tigers and bears and cheetahs, oh my, were out to get him, um, I still have no idea why that had to happen. If he's right, over millions of years, rather than um, you know just thousands of years ago.
2: Yeah, th- there's nothing there that would um, necessarily imply old age. It just means. That was their job, a different understanding of what they were called to than some people hold.
1: Okay. Yeah, and actually th- sure. let me let me say that this – because now I'm remembering what the point that I was trying to make way back at Jeremiah 4, um, and that is the best-case scenario is that is that this sort of interpretation would be consistent with an old age. That's the best-case scenario, but it certainly doesn't argue for an old age. If anything, it argues for a young age. um, At best, it's consistent with an old age.
0: Yeah. Okay. next. Number two, Barah. Number two is not so much a passage, but the use of a Hebrew word. Many young earth creationists believe this word refers to God creating out of nothing, and it is used frequently throughout Genesis one but looking at how the word is used outside of Genesis 1 implies Barah doesn't necessarily mean creation out of nothing and might not even refer to material creation at all. John Walton has done a full semantic analysis on the word and he points out the word never necessarily means creation out of nothing and there are several times it cannot mean that. In Psalm 51, the author uses Barah to ask God to make a new clean heart within him. This obviously doesn't refer to the creation of a new material heart out of nothing. In Isaiah 65, it refers to electing Jerusalem to be a place of joy. In Isaiah 43, it refers to creating the nation of Israel, which came about over time and through natural processes. In Ezekiel 21, it refers to making a sign. It is even used to refer to David not eating food. There are times it could refer to material creation out of nothing, but it never necessarily does, and there are clear examples where Barah cannot refer to material creation. So there is no reason to assume that that is the meaning in Genesis 1, especially given the previous problems that we have gone over. Kenneth Matthews notes Barah more likely refers to bringing about activity, rather than material manufacturing, implying Genesis 1 is not about material creation.
2: You know, I think this is another one of those where you could basically just land yourself in a match of scholar quotation ping pong. Yes. You you know, Mm -hmm. because notice he said it doesn't necessarily mean creation from nothing. Well, yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not saying creation from nothing. That's right. Um,
1: Yeah. Yep, Yep. 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 You're exactly right and uh with respect to this particular point yeah you're right you could just go back and forth i mean paul copan and uh, uh william Lynn craig have an entire book about this called <laughs> creation ex nihilo where they uh examine the the um you know the evidence for creation ex nihilo be it, you know in the bible and in genesis 1 that might be a good resource to look at as well um and i know so i know different hebrew scholars that are divided on this that they really are um and the but the point of the word bara, though is, I think that um, young I, I originally wrote down when I was taking notes on this um, that uh, that this was a straw man of of the young Earth creationist view, and while in some respects that may be true, I also think that a lot of young earth creationists just get this wrong. Um, there is a significance to the word bara, um, but it's not. In that it it only necessarily means material creation. In fact, I think most, I should say at least many young Earth creationists, especially you know, educated ones who write books and are you know pu- public about this stuff, um, I, I don't think any of them would argue that b- bara is used exclusively of material creation. Well, we do argue, truthfully. Is that in the Bible the word Bara is only ever the, the the subject of the word Bara is always Yahweh. It's always God. It's it's the God of the Bible. That's the real significance behind it. So um, I guess I don't know if I should if I should Amen, Michael here. Uh, probably I don't know um, because I agree it, it is used in material and non-material creation at least it appears to be. Um, but the point is that it's only ever used of God. It's only ever used of Yahweh. He is Yahweh is the only one who can Bara. Others can asah or yatsar. These are all um, synonymous words, uh, Hebrew words, but only God can barah.
2: Okay. Um,
1: And uh, just another
2: thing that I think it would – you know what? This kind of actually leads into the next one, so I'll save that comment for there. This is one of those things where it's like, okay, you you didn't actually – again, good job. Um, I don't know what this has to do with the actual age because the age – and 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 i'll stress this a little more in the closing um age has to do with the timeline right it actually has to do with what events happened and when okay so Barah, creation from nothing not creation okay
0: next yep. next and now finally number one genesis one verse one this may come as a shock to you but the very first verse of the Bible can create difficulties for young earth models. The reason is over the past few decades, scholars have noted the first verse lacks a definite article in Hebrew, so the way we translate it may not be accurate. Instead, scholars like John Salhammer and Robert Holmstead have argued it would make more sense to translate it as when God began to create the heavens and the earth. What this would mean is verse 1 is no longer a complete sentence, but what we would call a dependent clause in an incomplete sentence. So this would mean verse 1 is dependent on the following clause, which is in verse 2. So Genesis is really saying when God began to barah the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and void. In other words, when God started baraing the heavens and the earth, it was already there as formless and void. So many scholars Note this implies Genesis 1 is not about bringing the universe and the earth into existence for the first time, but is about God transforming the earth from a chaotic state into an ordered state. If the Hebraic form of verse 1 and 2 implies the earth was already there existing before the creation week, then the text supports an extended period of time prior to this and is not actually stating the absolute beginning point of our universe
2: okay we got genesis 1 1 all completely wrong um we're just we're we're toast (laughs) you Uh, you know what's interesting mm -hmm. um and and i had a few points that i'd written down but one thing that just occurred to me as i was um listening to that this time if um god was if if genesis 1 1 is where god you know Reordered, and it had planet had existed for long time before that. Um, Science doesn't work. It 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 doesn't matter what the actual age Mm -hmm. that the universe and Earth had been around, because everything would date back to. Genesis one one because that's where God started shaping. So you would not have any scientifically testable and observable or, or, or anything kind of processes going before that because at Genesis one one, it all changed. Right. So right there, all of the old Earth science models just threw them in the trash.
1: Um, yeah, that's a great point. That's that's a great point. And, and this is this is another one that c- kind of has to do with that, you know. Um, scholar scholar this and scholar that says one thing and says the other um again i'll point you to david fouts's book uh he just um grammatically he goes th- through this objection um and just shows why it would be arbitrary and quite spurious actually to say that this um that that we should interpret this verse without the definite article in other words um it would it would be it would make much more sense grammatically to include the definite article. Um, you have other cases in the Bible that you can point to where if you were to exclude the definite article with the grammatical structure being exactly the same, then it would be absurd. So, um, you know, there's te- again, there's technical reasons that go beyond my, you know, time to explain them to you right now, and even some of my my own personal understanding, but I can can read and comprehend uh, what he says. Um, And I think the argument goes through. So again, this is one of those things where, okay, well, he may be true. He he may be right about that. I actually know um, um, young earth creationists who take varying positions on this, and they're all young earth creationists. And the reason is because this verse... Does not affect <laughs> the age of creation, the the, the date of creation, and the age of the Earth thereafter. So, so I know scholars who will take um, Hebrew scholars and um, and also scientists and others um, who will take verse one, Genesis one one, as a summary statement, what they call an introductory encapsulation, um, such that it is not a statement of material creation um but yet a summary statement it is of course a, a merism because there's no word for universe in hebrew so a merism um takes kind of the the two extremes uh of a you know of a whole uh, the heavens and the earth in order to to you know takes two, the two ends of the extremes the two parts to explain the whole so um and, and you have you can still hold that it's a merism um and at the same time, hold that it's a literal statement of creation, or you can hold that it's not a literal statement of creation. At which point, you, the literal state of creation um, begins with verse two, with it explaining, um, you know, how uh, w- the actual state of the earth when the earth was created. Okay, fine. You still have to deal with Exodus twenty eleven, which says that the heavens and the earth. And everything in them was created in six days. That verse is still in the Bible, awkward as it may be. So we still have to deal with that. Um, that so that that const- even if you think that Genesis one one is just a summary statement, I think Exodus twenty and verse eleven still can constricts you. I actually found it quite interesting that that Michael didn't deal. There are verses and passages now I'm making a more general point now, but there are verses in the passage and passages in the Bible that you could more directly point to if you're going to try to show an old age for the earth. And maybe that's what we should do sometime, uh, Mark, is is uh is try to steel man this and come up and say, well here's what you'd have to do to actually show because history is pretty much agreed from Abraham to to today. Um on the timelines. I mean there are definitely like hundreds of years worth of fluctuation. You have different people who take Egyptian timelines differently. You have some of the – even the monarchies and some of the r- rulerships of, of yeah. Israel people wonder about. But you, and this is why Genesis – well, this is one reason why Genesis uh, gets attacked so much is because it's the only place in the Bible where you could find those millions of years if you were looking to find them in the in the biblical text so it'd be interesting to, to actually point out passages like Exodus um, 2011 and others that that could be more directly um, impactful on the age of the earth but um I think I think we've missed 10 out of ten on this one
2: yeah, and it, you know th- this gets back to okay. So Genesis one one isn't specifically saying this is when God created the whole thing. This is when He starts to form it. Um, okay, so when when according to the Bible did that actual creation from nothing happen? Because we know it did. There's plenty of other verses that tell us that. Sure. Um That there's absolutely nothing. It's like okay. Where do you insert the millions and billions according to the text? It's not there. That's the question. And and as you said, okay. Well, to answer that question, let's go to Exodus. What does this say? Oh, it
1: seems to pretty clearly say. So, all right. Yeah, Um, yeah. And the I I have to say, just for the sake of it, you know, because that is one of the verses. If you could show that Exodus twenty and verse eleven did not mean six ordinary days. If you could show that, that would definitely deal a blow to the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, to to the, to the creationist view. You know, what's really interesting is all these scholars you who know, we've mentioned, a few of them uh, tonight, Walton, Heiser, um, and there are probably a few others, pretty much any of the Hebrew scholars who take the position that the Bible is not teaching the age of the earth, all actually believe that the text is assuming a seven regular day pattern. In other words, you, you, you've got a very small list, I, I frankly I can only name one off the top of my head, of Hebrew scholars who would affirm the Hugh Ross view that you could take these days to literally mean eons of time somehow. I'm not even sure how that works, but but but, but there's a few who would affirm that you are either going to have Hebrew scholars for the for the vast majority. You've either got Hebrew scholars who think the text says um, a, a literal six day creation and means that, and that's actually what happened in reality, or you're going to have them who think the text says, a literal six day creation, but it doesn't mean that for whatever reason, and so you'd have a pretty hard time showing that verses like Exodus 20 and verse 11 don't actually point to that material reality. Um, so for what that's worth, but but the best I was going to say that the best argument that I've heard against that was from Tyler Vela, who said, Well, if if Moses, if we assume Mosaic authorship authorship and Moses wrote Exodus twenty, and verse eleven, and wrote Genesis one, then whatever he meant by day in Exodus, you know, twenty eleven, he meant the same thing by day in um uh, Genesis one. Of course, Tyler Vella though also does believe that this means that or or that that what's in view are Seven literal days or six literal days of creation, and then a seventh day of rest. He just doesn't believe that literally. That's what the text was teaching. He believes that that was what okay. the authors assumed. But yeah,
2: right. That he that he was using, you know, the concept of days in writing this polemic against right. the uh, Egyptian gods. So, yeah. Okay. Um. I think there's like one last little few moments of wrap up unless there's something I forgot to edit off so let's go
0: ahead and take a look at that and then we'll do some closing now I know some of these points might come as a shock to you but we are not arguing this creates problems for the biblical worldview just for young earth models that claim to be based on biblical texts given all of these points the biblical scriptures don't seem to support many of the claims of young earth creationists as we have argued it is clear a plain reading of Genesis does not necessarily support a six thousand year old Earth, and there are many issues that arise when proponents of this idea say we should just take the biblical text literally.
2: Okay, you, you know, and, and, and this is where I keep coming back to because he says that it um, uh, that that many of young Earth you know uh, views on the Bible, it's like okay, even if. Even if we take every single one of the things that he, if all 10 he was absolutely right and young earth creationists are wrong, it still has not one bit affected what's the age, right? Because, and 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 this is where, um, I really you know, this is where I landed, you know, because for years, uh, like, like I said, I grew up, um, being taught, you know, the uh. Kent Hovind brand of young earth creation teaching um and all of that <clears throat> and, and i find it funny that a lot of the arguments that i hear from people against young earth creationism are about 40 years out of date um or or more um of course you know that Usually more than i more. do but but i i got tired of the you know it it all of the back and forth about when was light created and what does bara mean and what is Yom and whatever it has, a, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, hold on a second. You're nitpicking about some minor interpretive or, or, or you know, linguistic details. When did the events happen? That is the question. And um, you either take the Bible um, from Adam forward as being historical. Now, it can include all kinds of metaphor and figurative thing, and you can have gaps in genealogies, and you can have the ages of the genealogies being uh, figurative and symbolic numerology stuff. You can have all of that. Did these events actually happen in human history? That's the question. And, And unless you just say, no, they're all myth. Well then, you you're having to say, okay. Well, these events happened, and at at most, we're talking ten thousand years. So yeah, where did we undo young Earth creation in any yeah. of this?
1: I actually, I really, I mean, that's a great point, and I I really thought that this um, this video, I almost want to call it an expose, the way it was set up, but um. I really thought that this video, um, like, missed the mark on a few very key points. I mean, if you'll you'll notice that these were the biblical arguments that were supposed to create problems for young earth creationism, but you'll notice that like some of the classic ones you mentioned, some of those classic arguments that we see here. You know, he didn't say anything about the word "yom." You notice that. And that used to be such a hot-button topic. Well, I assure you, Michael is well-read in the literature of Hebrew scholars. You're just not going to find some wide swath of Hebrew scholars who believes that you can can squeeze millions of years out of the word yom. You notice that you didn't hear him mention anything about the relationship between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. Because for a while, people wanted to insert millions of years of time into that gap— called the so-called gap theory and uh, the problem is that again grammatically Hebrew will not allow what you need to have in order for that gap theory to hold true so all of these places where before people wanted to insert millions of years into the Bible you can't get them it turns out from Hebrew grammar okay so um, what you have to do in order to sidestep the problem, Yes, and again, I I know I realize that some people might be taking my language as you know that he's trying to mythically devise some sort of cryptic. I hope you remember from the very beginning of this you know broadcast that w- there's no ill will towards Michael you know for any of this. No. It, it's just it's just the the reality is this is what he's trying to do is show the young earth creation has problems from the text, and he has he's he's failed to do that.
2: Um, well, and, and, you know, uh, honestly, whenever I saw that he was posting this video, I thought, oh, man, I mean, because I'm a young creationist and yeah, I'm like, dude, I mean, if yeah. anyone's about to torpedo this, Michael's going yeah. to because like like we said before, he's, he's very thorough, very well researched. He is on mm-hmm. even on things that I disagree with him on. I would not debate him because he's smarter than I am, because I mean, right? he, he brings his I mean, he's whenever he does yeah. a topic, he whenever he does a topic, he brings it. And then I watched yeah. this, and I thought that, that this doesn't even get into yeah. the age of the earth. Yeah. Like you, you didn't even yeah. address the topic.
1: Yeah. Not, what no, he not, addressed, not a little bit.
2: Yeah, and, and, and this comes back to, like we said at the beginning, he wasn't addressing the age of the earth. He was addressing um, a specific hyper-literalist biblical – interpretation that kind of often you know like squeaky wheel gets the grease um gets the attention but like next to no one actually holds that view and it's something you know like I said a lot of times what's being pushed back on um is 40 50 you know years old or older um because like i remember as a kid kind of hearing more of the more hyperliteralist kind of argument um but i'm i'm 42 uh, i'll be 43 in march i haven't heard that kind of hyperliteralist talk for most of my adult life you know um and, and that's from the mouths of young earth creationist scholars and proponents i don't even know how hard um how much some of this would even apply to, like, a Answers in Genesis type, you know? So some of this even, I think, Answers would go, uh, okay, Earth is still young.
1: Well, they they would point you to you know four hundred articles that they've written already addressing all of this stuff, and the same yeah. thing would be true of CMI. Now, I mean, you're going to have, I mean, again, there are ancillary things like, okay. Another scholar who's a lot like Michael Jones, actually, Michael gets a lot of his—I um, don't want to say—gets his material from him, but he's a scholar that he relies on is Ben Stanhope. Um, you ever heard of Ben? Um, no, no. Nope. Um, his his YouTube channel is Pixels and Papyrus, and he's got some he's got some videos that are a lot like. Um, Um, Michael's, uh, some of his videos are directly addressing the Creation Museum. I've actually just downloaded a book uh, from Kindle that he released not too long ago um, that says, you know, 10 Things the Creation Museum Gets Wrong or something like that. And, again, it's often these points with, um, like, okay, behemoth, okay, behemoth and Job and Leviathan, okay, what if they are not real animals and they are just chaos monsters, uh, chaos symbols from the ancient Near East. Okay, cool. Maybe, maybe the Creation Museum got that wrong. If assuming that's true, assuming that's true, maybe the Creation Museum got that wrong. What does that have to do with the age of the Earth? Now, I I get the point, right? The point is, Answers in and Genesis wants to find a dinosaur in the Bible with Behemoth, and they may or may not be able to to point to the dinosaur in the Bible. If not, okay, fine. You still have to deal with the fact that God created all the animals. Supposedly, in a six-day period of time, around six to ten thousand years ago, if you do math and look at the biblical record and take these events as historical, so it, I'm not trying to find a dinosaur in the Bible. I, you know, if it if it's there, great, that really helps. But I'm not necessarily trying to find it. So you have all these, you know, these ancillary things. Um, Stanhope was probably the first one I heard make the point about the. Um, about the ages of the genealogies and about Sumerian king lists and all these other things where you have parallels and there's probably some sort of, you know, cipher going on there. Heiser, when he talks about it, he says, yeah, there's probably some sort of numerical cipher going on there, but I don't know that we'll ever know what it is. Okay, well, right now, it, it we, we haven't found one and you don't know what it is. So at least right now, grant me that we're not an idiot for looking at the Bible and just taking it, you know, okay, fine. Some of the numbers are rounded, probably. Like it's, it's probably like if it said somebody lived five hundred years, they might have been four hundred and ninety-eight, like, or or something like that. Like we're not begging for strict literalism here. I'm pretty sure if I lived that long, I'd probably lose count. Uh, yeah, right. and just rounded. But but the point is, five hundred, it doesn't necessarily mean that five hundred means thirty thousand, and. You don't really have any evidence that the biblical writer had that kind of thing in mind. And unless you can specifically address those things, then any of the little ancillary things, if you're mad about things that Andrews and Genesis teaches about behemoth and about whatever, okay, fine, fine, fine. But until you address the core question, like, just just stop. Just like – and, you know, the arguments – here I am ranting, but like – it's just like you said so many of them get repeated. There's another scholar I just recently the last episode of my podcast was a, a little bit of a rant I did. Um, I think I titled it creation creation frustration. And um it was uh talking about another uh, scholar who just recently has taken up the cross of young earth, you know, of 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 Arguing against Young Earth Creationism uh, for some reason. And I, I I honestly, like I asked him on Facebook. I was like, why why are you taking up this cross and yet repeating things that, like, I mean, he was talking about stuff like light created in transit. I mean, views that creationists have not held for 20 years. And I was just like, man, like if you're going to take up this cross, read something that a Young Earth Creationist scientist has written in the last 20 years. Just please, I'm begging you. Or or that a Hebrew scholar has written in the last 20 years that, who agrees with, I can, I can give you a list. I keep a spreadsheet. Okay. I can give you a list of, of Hebrew, of active and retired Hebrew scholars who, who can argue from the text for a young earth creationist position. Don't selectively read. Don't read only the scholars that you agree with already. Like find some you disagree with. And I do that. I mean, I read. Walton and Heiser and all these other guys. Like, read some of the guys who affirm young earth creationism. Read, uh, Barrick. Read, um, what's the guy? Uh, Robert. I always forget his last name, but his first name is Robert. Um, he's written some really good stuff uh, against the um framework interpretation. Uh, he was at uh, Dallas from Dallas Theological Seminary. You know, read Stephen Boyd. Um, you know, read Jeremy Lyons. Re- you know, read these guys who who take the young age position and our qualified Hebrew scholars and Semitic scholars. Read David Fouts, the guy I mentioned before. Like, don't stay so narrow. Um, and I think, like, I can't for the life of me understand this selective scholarship. Like, why can't, why are they never considered um, in these things? Like, it bothers me.
2: Well, and, you know, and, and one thing that... Um... Hit me, and I don't even remember where I stumbled across it. Um, and and then once I went down that rabbit hole, whenever people start to say, oh, the, the Bible doesn't teach young earth, um, that uh, the the younger, I love this one, the young earth creation, that, that that the young earth creation movement was birthed out of seven day Adventism, oh, it. and it really only came back to what was it, the like 70s is when it was, and it's like, you, you that realize funny. that. It's like even if the current iteration of the movement birthed out of that for thousands, literally thousands of years, people have dated creation to a young right now. As we sit here in January 2021 on the Hebrew calendar, we are in the year 5781. Right. (laughs) According to the Byzantine calendar, what was the official church calendar of the eastern church we are currently sitting in the year 7529 Hmm. so tell me again that young earth was just some recent creation based on
1: no well and 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 like i was i was actually going to post this on facebook and then uh, i was traveling at the time so I, i when i was watching this um so i didn't um I watched an interview the other day, came up on YouTube, um, between uh it was a like twenty-minute interview, William Lane Craig being interviewed by the leader of one of these like Baptist fellowships somewhere. Um I was gonna text or I was gonna post something to the effect of oops, that awkward moment when your when your favorite, you know, old earth evolution affirming apologist agrees with young earth creationism. And and the two he made two points. Um that the whole interview was basically to to get to two points, the first point was that by far the for the vast majority of history, the church has affirmed a literal interpretation that would that would imply, okay, a young Earth interpretation of of, of the Bible. Um, that he said that is just without question that there there was until and, and actually he went further than that. He specifically said until the advent of modern geology, modern bi- biology, modern astronomy. He specifically said, "Until the advent of those scientific disciplines, that was the majority position of the church." So, okay, young Earth creation has been preaching that for years. I I don't care what quote you want to pull out from Origin or whatever, like, like that. It, it it's just indisputable. Well,
2: and, and and even when you had people who would interpret Genesis uh, more figuratively, they weren't imagining millions of years. I mean, um, right. like, like the reformers, I think even kind of argued yeah. about like why would it be seven days? God can do it instant; He doesn't need seven days.
1: Augustine <laughs> Augustine held that view. Augustine Augustine held the view that it was yep. done instantly, and that there had been six thousand years of time that it, no more than six thousand years of time that had passed, yeah. but that the creation event it itself was instantaneous. So, like you, you, you're like you're grasping for straws with that. And the other point that. Um, that dr craig made was affirming the humanity of neanderthals um he said as i looked at the research and there's more research that's coming out every single day he said i just can't deny that that they had every bit of the cognitive ability as modern humans do and so he said i think to in order to be biblically faithful and scientifically accurate he said we're going to have to include um uh, Neanderthal and the one that came right before was it Heidelberg? I can't remember. But the, but Neanderthal and the one that comes right before Neanderthal man were going to have to be included in our definition of modern humans. And because of that, he revises the day of Adam and Eve to seven hundred and fifty thousand years ago. And 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 his his. When he, as he makes the argument, uh, if he goes through this in his defenders' class. Don't take my word for it; you can you can look it up for yourself. Honestly, the one move he makes that allows him to get back to that is 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 that relationship of the genealogies. He he does argue that Genesis is a mytho history, but I would be I think I would be fine for the sake of argument saying that Genesis could be written in a mytho historical language, uh, or or mytho historical genre, and still. Be a young Earth, but for that he 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 has to make the move that the genealogies are um, likely non-literal, and that's really the only thing that he can say to to get that amount of time uh, in there. But he affirmed what young Earth creationists have been saying and have been lambasted for for. Decades. Oh, Neanderthals are not human. Even Hugh Ross and them, you know, reasons to believe. Well, no, I mean, yeah, we absolutely have evidence that Neanderthals bred with modern humans, but that means that humans committed bestiality and that there were, you know, all this stuff. And it's just with with more and more research by unlikely voices, it's all you know being confirmed for the younger few. Now, now the Hebrew scholars are saying, well, yeah, it, it kind of is talking about seven days, and it kind of is talking about a global flood. It just doesn't mean that. And 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 the scientists are saying, well, yeah, actually, you could take – I mean, Josh Swamidas. I don't know if you've seen any of his stuff, but the scientists are kind of saying, well, yeah, like you actually could take Genesis literally and have all this. And, and, well, yeah, Neanderthals kind of were humans, and oh, yeah, by the way, the church has agreed with young earth creationism for its entire history until the advent of modern science. All of these things are now being taught by the scholars who have disagreed with the view for so long. And despite that, despite that, there is still this constant, um, almost, what's the word for it? A denigration of anybody who believes in a, in a, in a young earth, like, I, I just wonder when the cancel culture for young earth creation is going to start because it really has it, like it's it's just it's almost like that you're still a caveman if you believe in young earth creationism, you're still a caveman, and yet the claims of young earth creationists keep getting vindicated with each passing generation. I, I don't understand it. it, I just don't,
2: <laughs> yeah, and and I, I don't know, I, it's I mean, because I, I know a lot of people, and and, and I think I've shared before, that, that what really did it for me? I mean, because I, I was brought up, I, I was taught that, you know, people who don't believe in a 6,000-year-old, you know, literal Adam and Eve, they believe evolution, that's the lies of the devil, and they're just denying God. And I was taught all that. And then I went to college, where I served in a campus ministry. And I served side by side with people who were born again, spirit-filled, God-loving, fierce warriors for the gospel on campus, who believed in old earth or right. evolution. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so you actually can love Jesus and <laughs> believe this. And so right. that, you know, just yeah. um and, and 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 I just wonder. I don't know. I mean, so, so I think there's plenty of people out there who I'm not going to assign any kind of ill intent or scripture right. twisting. Sure. Um, but for some reason, whether it's just the cultural milieu or whatever, they have old age just imprinted in their thinking. Yeah. And and, and what we've seen through these top ten, top ten reasons the Bible doesn't teach young Earth. Is um, that even if they're all right, it's not addressing the age at all, and so therefore they assume the old Earth. Then, I mean,
1: right? I, uh, yeah. At the very so. most, at the very most, they can they can interpret the text in such a way as to be consistent with an old age, and this is a point that my friend Doug made. Um, um, I wish I'd give him full credit. I'm trying to think of his last name. Um, I'll think of it the minute we get off this call, but his name's Doug. He and his wife do some really great stuff with apologetics work. He said, you know, what's really interesting is the best case that the old earth creationists can make is that the Bible is consistent with their view. But they cannot make the case that their text teaches an old earth. For the young earther, though, the best case is that, is that you actually can make the, the the point that the text teaches it. And of course it would therefore be consistent with it as well. So I think that's notable.
2: Yeah, and, and I just kind of I always keep coming back to the idea of um you, you know the historical timeline gets us back to Adam. Now if you want to argue about how much time that actually is back to Adam, well it's not four thousand four BC. Okay, so Usher was wrong. I don't care. Kuwaitin is true. Okay. okay, well then it was five thousand five hundred BC. I, you know, um, but yeah. you get us back to Adam. So, so where do you get the time before Adam? Oh well, because it, it ain't in the Bible. You don't get it in the Bible. Um sure. You got you know, as we've seen in this video with IP, you get some places where you might be able to imply that it's possible that it would, but you don't. I, I mean. From what I see in the scripture, you get back to Adam, and then all the arguing goes on with Genesis 1, and either Genesis 1 is literal, in which case you have 6,000 years and seven days, or Genesis
1: is figurative, in which case you get 6,000 years. So – Right. Yep, cool, cool. Move along. (laughs) Nothing to see here. And and again, like like that's – like that's all well and good, and it's all well and good for me and you to say that. But when does it change in the public discourse? When is it okay? And I actually, I have to say, I um, I, I did. I also just listened to a stream recently between Joshua Das and uh, and William Lane Craig, and I, you know, I, I can always have my qualms, but I will say that I've heard an attitude. I heard it was so what they were doing, they were actually addressing some inflammatory comments that none other than Ken Ham made toward uh, William Lane Craig. Um, No. And um, yeah, that actually happened. And um, yeah, and and they were addressing the comments. And I think actually, for the most part, I agreed with Bill Craig. And there were times when he agreed with Ken Ham and times when he disagreed. Um, And uh, there were, you know, anyway, the point is, I was actually encouraged by the language, especially Josh used about, hey, let's open up a dialogue. Let's, you know, I mean, they sounded willing to have some people. Um, you know, dialogue with them on the issue, and so let's hope that that's the case, and let's hope that it can continue, um, and that maybe the tide is is turning a little bit because as of right now, it's still, well, it's like it's like being a, a, you know, a um, I don't I don't know if I should say his name, we might get canceled, but uh, it's kind of like being a Trump supporter, uh, to be a young, you (laughs) know, I mean, in in the midst of cancel culture, right, (laughs) to be a young Earth creationist in the midst of modern um modern academia, it's it's it's. It's talked about, it's denigrated, it's canceled, it's not given a fair hearing, and yet when somebody says, show me the evidence of wrongdoing, show me where I'm wrong, we get top ten lists like the one we just went through that never addresses the actual issue. And we get arguments that are 40 years out of date and don't even assume an awareness of anything new that a young earth creationist has written. And we get… We get, we get told things over and over again that we have heard repeated like, oh, well, church fathers believed in an old earth and you know, and the Seventh-day Adventist made up here. We get all these things that are historically false. They're just false. And so at, at, at what point is somebody going to be willing to hear the facts and give the young earth crisis a fair hearing? Um, at the very least, stop insulting us for believing what we believe in the face i mean i saw a time i didn't read it but it literally like 3 days ago my wife s- took a screenshot of this uh article on apple news that was we're going to have to rethink everything we know about the big bang we- it's in shambles and i didn't even read it i'm just like <laughs> like like <laughs> surprise surprise like you know what i mean i'm just and of course those are, you know it's it's the news so there's always going to be some sort of you know uh, inflammatoryness there but anyway
2: well and and uh, but i think one thing that i've seen happening um is that on both sides you have um young earth creationists who are willing to look at old earth creationists and even theistic evolutionists and go um, no they're my brothers they're just wrong yeah and sure. you know shape sure. You know, it, r- rather than looking across the you know table at them, thinking bunch of scripture twisting God deniers, right, right, it's <laughs> right. You know, they're my brother. They're just wrong. And then on the other side, rather than it being you bunch of science denying fundamentalists, it's okay. Well, you know, I understand that's what you believe, but we're you know we're brothers. I just think you're wrong. And, and I right. think that's one thing that's helping is that we're kind of getting yes. that going on rather than. Um, I mean, because the but, but we got a long way to go because you know, like I've mentioned before, I got kicked out of a uh, young Earth uh, group on li- online on Facebook because I dared to say that you can be old Earth creationists and still be saved. Right. And all of a sudden, I was called That's every insane. name under the book. I was called a, oh, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing, a false prophet. I was called, you know. Just, uh, you know and and then you know banned kicked out and banned from the group, and I'm like,
1: all I did. <laughs> I mean, young Earth creationists definitely bear some of the responsibility. I mean, a lot of the responsibility for how, you know, it's it's kind of like again, I'm just going to make the analogy because I think it's a darn good one. You know, you get people who say, and, and Christians who who say, you know, maybe if Trump had just kept his mouth shut, he'd actually got elected for another four years. I, I think there's some truth to that. I I I think if, if if he had been spared a personal Twitter account, he may be the president today. <laughs> I mean, honestly, go- I, I honestly do.
2: Um, mm-hmm.
1: you you know, if we and, had more I mean,
2: teleprompter Trump and less Twitter Trump,
1: yeah, like yeah. for sure, for sure. And, and so I I I think some of the now uh, again, you know, we should call out people for false beliefs, sure. But what 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 was demonstrated in that live stream between Josh Swamidas and, and William Lane Craig the other day um, was that. A lot of times, this inflammatory stuff goes beyond critiquing the ideas, and it drifts into ad hominem and actually attacking the people as being pseudo intellectuals, wolves in sheep's clothing, etc. And that's what's got to stop. And it makes me wonder. Again, I don't. I don't want to put this in like a, in a um um like a gory way or like a uh, like a. But but I just wonder what's going to happen when that when that old guard. You know, isn't around anymore, and and when you know when some of these newer voices who are more gracious and when more willing to, you know, ex- extend a hand across the aisle, extend that right hand of fellowship. You think Liberty was fundamentalist, bro? Where I grew up, Liberty was liberal. I'm telling you, like 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 the like like Liberty is a liberal place. With it, so I'm talking about that right hand of fellowship, brother. I mean, we got to extend that bad boy out across the aisle and get and and and. I think that the the new guard is coming up, but the old guard still has a lot of influence, and um, you know it, it may be that we don't get a fair hearing until those overpowering voices are no longer in the way, so to speak. I hate to put it that way, but it, it, to be that grim about it, but that just may be the reality. I don't know.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, good stuff. Hopefully. Um... I uh, I'm not in any illusions that uh, Michael would ever see this but if he does maybe he'll realize his mistake and come up with 10 um, actual challenges to young earth creationism. That'd be um, great. <clears throat> that'd be wonderful. Here we go. Well let's go ahead and uh wrap this up here. Um want to give a shout out to where people can learn more about you and find your stuff cuz you got some good content out there.
1: Sure. Uh if you do the YouTube thing you can find it at Bible Nerd TV. Um, If you like podcasts, you can find it at the Bible Nerd Podcast. And if you like reading, you can go to uh, steveshram.com. If you don't feel like spelling that, you can just go to enduringtogether.com, and it will actually um, just redirect right over to my website. So that might be a little easier to remember and to spell. I will say give me, you know, bear with me a little bit. I'm not producing quite as much content as I would like to be right now. Cause I'm still trying to, f- to figure out the balance. I went full time in my business, my web design business a couple weeks ago, and I have, I've taken on like six new clients since going full time. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to manage my time with this and, and try <laughs> to still do the ministry stuff. Um, so it, it's, it, it's, it's a challenge, so pray for me. But please find me on those places. I plan to keep producing, you know, lots of content going forward. But I'm I'm just trying to get my sea legs and figure this stuff out. So,
2: okay, and I will be sure to put links to all that in the description below. So, all right, thanks, man. Well, thank, thank you. you for your time. And uh, yeah, thank you for doing this. I, I just I watched that video and I'm like. Ah. I gotta respond to that. And I don't want to do it alone. So let's uh, grab someone who's a little more it's knowledgeable fun. on a lot of this than I am. So, all right, man, take it easy.
1: All right, bro. You too. Thank you. And all of me come them
2: yeah, and take me to